Well, hello, everybody. This is Corey Baker, and you are listening now to episode number nine of the Chasing Better podcast, and we are so excited to have you on. This is a, uh, a podcast that really is dedicated to helping everybody become the best version of themselves, and uh, sometimes you just get to listen to me just kind of share some things that are going on with me, and sometimes we have some guests on to talk about really important topics. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about race. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about lots of things like that. And today, I'm really excited. Uh, for those of you that don't know this about me, I, I have a faith background. I, I grew up uh, in church and uh, was a minister for many, many years. And uh, we no longer uh, do that vocationally. Um, and I wanted to have a friend come on today and have a discussion about faith. You know, in the United States of America, most of our listeners are, are in the United States, obviously. And uh, there's, I would say, the vast majority of people in our country subscribe to some element of faith. Not everyone believes the same thing, but there is this element of, of, of faith that in, in, in something, uh, in the belief in God, the belief that we aren't alone, whatever. Um, and yet, in this world that we live in, it is becoming um, a world that is filled with gray, and there, there seems to be kind of a little bit of, of pushback away from what we have come to know in the last several years as far as, um, you know, I think there's a difference between what we see the, the God of the Bible as and what we see the God of this movement of uh, evangelical Christianity and megachurch and um, not that I'm here to say any of those things are bad. It's just, it's just a unique situation that we live in. And I wanted to have a, a good friend come on and, and talk a little bit about his journey um, and some things that he's learned along the way. And we're just going to have a discussion. We'll see what happens over the next 25 minutes or so uh, about this topic. So if you are a person of faith, I think you'll find this very interesting. If you're not a person of faith, I think you'll find this to be very interesting. And if you're struggling with faith, I think you'll really find this to be interesting. So my guest today is uh, Chad Brugman coming to us all the way uh, from Colorado. And uh, Chad, welcome. Glad you're here. What's up, Corey? It's good to be here, man. Well, we've known each other for quite some time and, and have kind of similar backgrounds in terms of how we kind of uh, came into uh, working in a, a ministry field, but maybe just give everybody a, a Cliff Notes version of, uh, of your story, and that might take longer than a few minutes, but just kind of, because uh, you, you have uh, up until recently been involved in uh, full-time ministry, and, and maybe even talk about what full-time ministry even means, because not everybody even knows what that is all about, but maybe just share with us a little bit about your story, and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll do my best to cliff notes this, but I definitely want uh, to have your listeners have some context um, for my story. I grew up in a total Judeo-Christian Protestant home, pastor's kid, the whole deal, you know, going to church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, sometimes even more than that. Um, uh, as a kid, I, for all the things I lacked, one of the things that I was super strong on the spectrum of was being analytical, <laughs> good or bad, right or wrong, blessing and curse, super analytical. And so when I got to be about 12, 13, 14, um, man, I really started putting my family's faith under the microscope. And 
I also started liking girls and right. I got introduced to beer <laughs> and then marijuana. And the, then those, it's funny how those things all go hand in hand. Right. Right. <laughs> and so long story short, I'd say in my early teen years, I went what, you know, in the faith world we'd call prodigal. Yeah. Uh, I, I left the proverbial faith. Um, not literally, but, but, Practically, I left it. Um, I would go to make my parents happy. I'd go as little as possible. I played sports, so I was hardly ever uh, at church as much as I could be gone. Um, and, and I grew up mostly wanting to stay away from church because my moral life wasn't matching uh, my, my family's faith values. And I just was under this impression um, that the two couldn't coexist. I couldn't work through some moral issues and God be happy with me at the same time. And so I thought I did the honorable thing, which was go prodigal, just leave the church. And I also had a lot of, you know, from a theological point of view, a lot of doubts and, and misunderstandings about who God was and what Christianity was all about. And then, you know, because we're all human, you see all the hypocrisy in the church world because it's full of humans. And, you know, that starts to rub you the wrong way. And then you start to wonder what this whole faith thing is even all about. And so... I just kind of at a young age decided, well, based on what I've been told morally about my faith, God clearly isn't happy with me. God clearly must not like me because I'm doing everything I've been told by my pastors and youth pastors not to do. And I'm actually enjoying most of it. And I haven't lived long enough for most of it to hurt me yet. And so uh, I just left, man. And then uh, I was about 23 uh, around the time we would have met. Uh, and uh, life was just going bad, man. And I've, uh, and we can talk maybe more about this too, cause that's a part of, you know, the mental health journey I'm on, but I've had major struggles with depression since I was a teenager and about at about 22, uh, it got about as dark and as difficult as it's ever been for me. And so I just, uh, man, I didn't know what else to do. I was desperate and the party and the drugs, you know, the girls, the typical stuff we always talk about, man, all of that was starting to get so old and it was, doing nothing for me. And it was starting to get to a dark place where I was having to do more and more of all of it to, to numb and to feel okay. And so I just finally had this moment where I said, you know what? Uh, my parents are way happier than I am living way fuller than I am doing none of the things I'm doing. And they would give all of the credit to, to in our faith case, Jesus right. Christ. And so I said, you know what? This is stupid. I'm going to, I'm going to live like them for a year. And I'm, you know, when I'm a pretty passionate person. So when I go, you know, good or bad, when I'm in, I'm in. And so I just, I just quit everything. I dedicated everything uh, to a pursuit of faith in Jesus. And it was all she wrote. Uh, within that year, I moved up to Rockford, Illinois, where you were, and uh, started a faith journey. And shortly into that, I and it started a, like your own faith journey, like your own yeah. personal faith journey, right? Yeah. Not one that was given yeah, to you. My, my faith journey for me. Um, yeah, my decision. And, uh, as you know, I went through a program, you're very, you, you went through it as well, where it was, it was intense. Uh, we prayed every day, hour a day, read the Bible every day. Um, did, did church ministry. Non couldn't date, no girls. Couldn't date for a whole year. Best, no thing, best thing that uh, yeah. could have happened to me. I ended up not dating for almost six years. That's a whole nother story. Um, before I eventually get married, but um, went, went through that program, started falling in love with the Bible, started falling in love with, with prayer, with Jesus, with the church. And I also um, 
started to speak a little bit, communicate God's word, preach the gospel, started doing school assemblies with our friend, you know, Dan Valentine. And, um, and I, I started to realize that there was a gift on my life to communicate. And, and so before I knew it, I went up there for a year just to, to learn how to pray and, and get out of my old environment. And next thing you know, I stay there seven years and I become a preacher and a pastor and what we call now full-time ministry, um, which I, I don't love the term, you know, because I, I think everyone, whatever they're doing is in full-time ministry, obviously. Right. Um, and and I, I don't like the secular sacred divide that we create sometimes in the church, but for lack of a better term, I joined full-time ministry, which for those that don't have a Christian faith basically just means you work in the church professionally. It's how you get paid right? and you help in some form or fashion work or run at a church, run, run or work at a church. And so, um, I did that in Rockford. I was a youth pastor there for about four of my seven years there. And then we moved to Denver after that with some friends from Rockford and family members to start a church. And we started that 14 years ago and, and the doors have not shut yet. Yeah. <laughs> so so cool. So you, you've, you know, been involved and in, you, you worked at the church. I mean, the church that you were at in, uh, in Colorado that you guys helped start is just absolutely massive. Um, and you worked there for uh, a pretty long time and you um, made the decision to kind of step away from that. Now you're, you're kind of back involved with some, some things on your own, but I don't know if you want to just share for a little bit about why you, um, why you made the decision because I mean, from from all aspects and people looking at you, you probably had a pretty good life going on. I mean, you had, you know, you're at a massive church. You got to speak on a stage and uh, lots of influence. I mean, seems like things are going pretty well. Yeah, they're going incredible. Uh, I kind of, I, I jokingly call it, I retired. Um, too young to retire, I guess. But I retired, um, and like you said, you know, the trajectory of the church as far as health and growth was still heading upwards and to the right. And so for me to back away at that moment in the life of the church caught a lot of people by surprise. And, you know, cause usually when a guy like me gets up there and announces at the church that I'm leaving, when everything oh, that happened, right? Right. When everything's going great, they're sitting there going, okay, he slept with the secretary or he's got caught stealing money. Here we go. Another, another scandal, you know, meth binge. Yeah. But yeah, meth binge, secret alcoholic, whatever. <laughs> um, and I didn't have, by God's grace, I didn't have any of those. Um, and I, I literally, um, man, I'd, I'd say two, three, four years ago, I just found myself super tired, like deep soul fatigue. Um, I found myself cynical, which is usually a sign of fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, 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 as an analytical person, my analytical friends listening to this will, will amen this. I mean, our, our kryptonite is cynicism and I have an incredibly high value uh, against cynicism. I think it's one of the most toxic, deadly things the human heart can hold. And, and I started finding myself getting cynical, uh, which almost always means I'm tired and unhealthy. Um, you know, unhealthy people for some reason have room for cynicism that healthy people just don't. Yeah. And they hold it well. And they, they're like sponges for it. And, and I didn't like that. Um, I also, um, so I was tired. Uh, I was, 
I was having a, a pretty good bout a couple years ago of depression again. And I, and I hadn't had a real strong one for almost a decade. And that caught me off guard. And then I also in, you know, two, three years ago was in my early forties. And I think I experienced a, a bit of a midlife crisis. Um, again, didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't go and buy a real expensive car. Um, I think my feel, I think my crisis was theological and, I think uh, we were so busy because our church grew so fast in our in my 30s that I didn't even have time to spend on my faith and really thinking about the implications of my faith. I was just digging deep and moving forward, not just running a church, but but running an organization. Because you know when your church gets to a certain size, you're no longer just a pastor; you're a you're a CEO, you're a businessman. Right. You got to raise money. You got staff, staff's got to get paid. Buildings got to get built. I mean, yeah, all we're all of a sudden we have a $20 million budget, multiple buildings that we're overseeing and building. We have a staff of over 120 people. And all I wanted to do when I was in my twenties was preach the gospel and love people. And I'm not a businessman. I'm not a, I'm not a money man, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I've become a CEO without any training, without a lot of the gifts um, and a lot of the grace and skill set that comes with that. And I think it just compiled, man. So wait, so I'm going to push back on this for a second because the way that Christianity that people kind of believe and follow today, I mean, obviously this whole concept of Jesus being the answer. And I think for a lot of people, he is. Um, how, how is it possible that someone as grounded as you, as plugged in as you, as solid as you can have doubt or can have, um, depression issues. How, how is that? How does that translate? And I, I ask that because I'm guessing that there are probably some people listening that have been very committed to their faith and yet they still deal with these things. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right. Uh, Corey about all that. I, one of the things I'm most passionate about is having these conversations precisely because of that. Um, and every human being in some form or fashion, a lot of us in many ways are just broken. And that's why I love what you're committed to and your wife and so many of your friends in your community is health. Um, and doing it in a way where you're not afraid of people's brokenness, but instead you're saying, Hey, we, we, we get it. It's not an indictment, but we also have hope and solutions. And sometimes people in your, in your health world do it way better than people in, in the church world. Right. And to me, I want everyone to do it well, but I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate when in the church world, um, half the time what we call health has more to do with hiding. Sure. Confronting. And it's this pseudo sense of health. As long as we believe right, as long as we uh, attend right, as long as we give right, as long as we look the part, you know. Yeah, if, you're, if you show up good on Sundays and you're giving amounts the right way and the Christmas card looks great and your Facebook page is filled with scripture every once in a while, it's, it's kind of the, 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 the Christmas card version of what Christianity is. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't really like to peel the veil back very much. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love to peel the veil back. I'm, 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 not, I'm not healthy when I don't. And so... Um, I, man, I, I didn't know our church would do what it did. I didn't know it would blow up the way it did. I didn't know I would have some, in some cases, overwhelming responsibilities that I didn't feel 
um, qualified for. It just happened. And uh, I, I can't force depression to go away. And you, if, you try, if you try and go down the road of faking it, you can only do that so long before it will win. It will rear its ugly head. At some point, you have to be honest and confront it and be open about it and unafraid of it. And, um, and a lot of times pastors are the most notorious for feeling no permission to be broken. And yeah, that was always one of my biggest struggles with this whole deal is like, as a pastor, if you're dealing or struggling with something, who do you talk to? Because yeah. if you talk about what's really going on, you, there's worry that you're going to get fired, that you're going to lose your job, that everything's going to be taken away from you. And so what do you do? You hide it because you have either a choice of bringing it out in the open and dealing with it um, and losing everything or, um, or, or hiding it and just trying to deal with it on your own. So, and again, I'm not saying that, uh, it's, it's okay to have issues. It's just, man, I, I've learned through this whole process that pastors are people and that they deal with stuff. So I don't want this to be construed as, as, as all negative to, to church. Cause I think there's probably some positive experience when you had this, when you had this kind of awakening, when you decided to step out, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, well, if someone comes to that conclusion that you're going to be shunned, that you're going to be ostracized, that your pastor is going to blackball you. But that didn't seem like that was your scenario. It seems like you've been given some grace in this process. Am I wrong in that? No, you're not, you're not wrong at all. I got, you know, I got, I, I had an amazing community of people that surrounded me and that trusted me and that honored me. I mean, my church, the people in my church were, I mean, they were prototypical in my opinion for how they should treat a pastor who's going through something really difficult. Uh, I couldn't have gotten more grace from them. I couldn't have gotten more affirmation. I couldn't have gotten more encouragement. Um, and, and I wish it was that way with all churches, but uh, the level of um, just grace and encouragement that my church met me with was unbelievable. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, being nearly the spot I am today if it wasn't uh, for that. Um, but unfortunately it doesn't happen that way for a lot of pastors and a lot of pastors um, don't ever even know if they have that permission or not, because they, they have to, like you said, they have to keep that whole part of their life compartmentalized and hidden um, because of the practical things that could happen, losing your job, losing your income, losing your career. The only thing, you know, like for me, I don't, I don't have a plaque on the wall. I don't have a college degree. I don't have, you know, a lot to fall back on. I'm, I'm neck deep in the church world. And so even when I stepped away, I had, you know, like, how's this going to, how's this going to work? How am I going to make a living? How am I going to make a, you know, a life when, when this is all I know how to do. And so it's incredibly scary for pastors um, to be their, their, their truest self and to be completely vulnerable. So, and you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, you can define this better than me because you, this is something you walk through, but I don't know if you want to call it a faith crisis or just a, um, a season of doubt or, or overcoming, but a lot of people that go through that kind of have moments where they kind of, you know, just kind of throw it all away, but that doesn't seem to be your story that, you know, on the other side. And I don't know if you would even necessarily say that whatever you were facing a couple of years ago that you feel completely on the other side of that part of it, it, it might just still be something that is something you're, you're wrestling with, but that you are still involved with faith. You still speak at church. You still have a, um, a faith that you would consider personal. Some people uh, when they go through what you went through, seem to, to have walked away. So how have you been able to hold on to that? Um, 
in midst of all that you've been through? That's a great um, question. I, I just made it, I just made a conscious decision, Corey, that, um, well, I was kind of, you know, there's a, there's a popular word right now in, in, in the church world or outside of it, however you want to look at it called deconstruction. Uh, I don't really love the term because, um, I don't know. It just feels like it has some negative connotations. Um, I'll just say this first. I'll, I'll steal this uh, that I, I've read before, but he, he says life is an endless cycle of order, disorder, and then reorder. And I think we got some feedback on somewhere. I don't know. It's like a, somebody hit the microphone or something. I don't know where that's coming from, but maybe that's just my end. Yeah, I'll just repeat that again. Uh, yeah, old old dead Catholic priest I read said life is just an endless cycle of um, order, disorder, and then reorder. And how you handle that is how you will live out your legacy. And um, so I think disorder is a good word I like to use rather than deconstruction. Um, and it, it was almost like my, my, it, my time was up. I had lived in a lot of spiritual order, um, a lot of, um, questions that I had thought I had answered and got so busy doing noble church work that I just kind of buried my hand in the head in the proverbial theological sand and just didn't have time to really uh, put any weight up against my beliefs and any pressure against my beliefs, throw anything against the proverbial wall, if you will, and see what sticks theologically. And then in my, in my 40s, as I started to get a little more margin uh, and, and in, in church world, I, I I woke up one day and went, man, why do I believe this? And some of this seems weird to me. And some of this seems intellectually dishonest. And some of this, uh, I've never really stopped to consider the implications of, of, of the fact that I believe this and I use this language and I preach this and I teach this. I want to make sure that something as important as faith. And when, when thousands of people are coming to hear me talk about an unseen God, they, I owe it to them to scrutinize my faith. Uh, whereas most pastors actually feel deep pressure to do the opposite, which is you figure out what you believe, you, you find the tribe that believes it, and then we show up every week and we double down on it, right? And I don't even, that sounds cynical. I promise you, I don't say that cynically. What I realized is humans, because we live in such a chaotic world, we want some semblance of control. And one of the biggest issues with most humans, nine out of every 10 on planet earth is their faith, right? And so what not better to, to, to feel like you can control something than your faith, right? Uh, what happens after the grave, how, how we live this life. And so we typically, a lot of times without realizing it, we, I believe, go to church, uh, find the church that, that's going to reaffirm everything we want to believe and do believe, find the guy or the girl who preaches it the best, and show up week after week and reaffirm and double down on, on what we believe and have a bunch of other people. Yes. And amen with us. And we walk out of there with a sense of, you know, peace and, and, and I think a pseudo sense of control. And I got to a place where I was like, you know what? I don't know if, if that's the ultimate way to go. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that might be what, what God's asked of us. I, I got to a place where I was like, man, I, I have a lot of doubts. And if I'm the guy preaching it, I can't imagine what the people sitting out in the audience come in here with. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of times 
we'll preach a mean game about doubt and it's okay to have doubts and you could be here with doubts. But then when, you know, you start talking about some of those real doubts, it's okay. How do we solve this as if it's a problem to solve and doubt? I don't think it's a problem to be solved. I think it's, it's a tension that we sit in. And I think doubt is deeply spiritual. And I think doubt, uh, and we talked about this offline, Corey, but, but the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I would add that without doubt, it is impossible to have faith. Yeah. So if faith is what pleases God, doubt is an essential ingredient to faith. But when you practically start expressing doubts in a lot of circles and a lot of churches and a lot of places, it's amazing sometimes the fear, the, the pushback, sometimes the, the volume of control that gets turned up in those atmospheres, um, the language that's quickly used to squash those doubts. Sometimes the, um, man, how would I even say this? Sometimes some of the, oh gosh, I don't even know, I don't even know how I'm trying to phrase this. Some, sometimes some of the quick statements we make back that are very cliched and sound nice, but don't really help someone that's, that's, that's having doubts. Um, I think we, we can do a real disservice to each other. And ultimately I think to faith when we don't make space for doubts and, and I've had a bunch. And so I, I made space. <laughs> That's so good, man. You know, I was thinking about this, you know, a couple, several years ago, you know, there was a guy, uh, well, he's still relevant now, Rob Bell. And I remember he yeah. wrote, you know, wrote a bunch of books and there were so many people telling him, I'll stay away from him. Don't read something like that. It's crazy how fragile we are when it comes to our faith and just telling people, don't watch this, don't read this because it potentially will lead you astray. Like, is this thing a, is this thing for real? Like, what are we so worried about? Um, that, that we're, we're just kind of afraid, uh, to, uh, let people read some things that might fly in the face of our fundamentalism. Yeah. So if you think about that, uh, a 35, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing his age at the time he wrote that book that was scandalous in the church world, but a 35 year old kind of nerdy guy from Michigan has that kind of power over <laughs> for, yeah. for a bunch of pastors to literally do series on this book and against this book. Yeah. And I, I remember at the time, man, I was in that group. I was sitting there going, yeah, this stuff is is not good. This is dangerous. You know, he was talking about some orthodox issues and, and like basically saying, saying that hell is not a real place. And uh, yeah, not real or, or maybe, maybe like, like maybe, maybe God wins everybody back in the end. Right. Right. And, and here, here's, here's when I knew there was a problem intellectually, Corey was the, the biggest response all of us pastors had. And I don't know if you remember hearing this or not. It was this, it was, man, I sure wish Rob was right, but, <laughs> but he's not. And yeah. we got to tell everyone how wrong he is. Yeah. And what I, what I intellectually wanted to do at the time, but, but I guess didn't care enough or was too afraid of was go, wait a minute. Let, let's pause and, and let's ask ourselves, why do we all keep feeling the need to qualify Rob Bell's book with, I sure wish he was right. Where's mm-hmm. that coming? Where's that instinct coming from? Where's that desire coming from that, that, that we don't want anyone to be in quote unquote hell, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. Why in the deepest parts of who we are as human beings, everything about that seems wrong. Yeah. But in order for us to accomplish a particular spiritual goal, 
we have to have something as powerful as hell as the backdrop to, to, to contrast it with where we're trying to get people, right? As if the love of God couldn't just get us there on its own merits. I love this. I can't wait for the, I can't wait for the messages that I'm going to get from this because <laughs> I know I'm going to get some and I'm excited for it. So bring it on. Um, I, I want to end by asking you to speak to two groups of people. Okay. And I think that you have a unique perspective to speak to these groups of people um, because I think there are some here today that maybe find themselves in positions of authority in a church or movement what would you say to faith, the faith leader community of how to handle it when someone comes to you expressing doubt or expressing seasons of depression or whatever? Yeah. How, would, how, how would you advise people in authority in the Christian movement to handle doubt when people express it? Yeah, starting with doubt, I would, I would say um, before you do anything else with them and their doubts, celebrate it. Stop for a minute and catch them off guard, especially as their pastor, and celebrate their doubt because doubt is a sign of life. Doubt's a sign that your spiritual heart is beating. Um, that it's active, that it cares. Doubt, doubt, doubt is there because someone cares. And, and if we would start to see doubt as an integral ingredient to faith, I think it would change the game. Um, it is not a problem to be solved. It is, it is a conversation to be had. Uh, that's what doubt does. It's like emotions. It's, it's trying to have a conversation with your soul. It's trying to awaken you to more truth. And, and if we see that as the active reason for doubt and not that it's a problem to be solved so everyone can doctrinally line up and we can all march in the same direction, uh, the, the degree of beauty, the degree of love, the degree of unity, the degree of acceptance that the body of Christ and the people of faith, all faiths really, could have would be an unstoppable force. Um, doubt is a friend not a foe. And uh, that's what I would want, especially for all your listeners who are going, man, I'm trying this faith thing, or I, I, I want to have faith, but man, there's so much doubt. I would just say, first of all, you're alive. Your spiritual heart is beating and it's trying to have a conversation with you and you should celebrate it. It is not an indictment on your faith. It is not an indictment on who you are as a person. It's actually a compliment. And so I'd say lean into it, find environments, find people, find spiritual people that, that will be open to your doubts and unafraid of them and not, not, not just there to try and fix them like a good pastor has been taught he's supposed to do, but sit in it and let the conversation take place. And then you, you, you got into this a little bit and, and this is, you know, last question because we're out of time, but um, to those that, would I don't know a better adjective to use for this. So to those that find themselves in the doubt closet, in the faith closet, they they want to let their doubts out, they want to let their questions out, but they're afraid because they're worried because some people they care deeply about are people 
of strong conviction, people in their family, people in their friendship circles, and, and they're worried and they're nervous. Yeah. Uh, how would you advise someone who's wrestling with faith and doubt right now to get that out in the open so it's not so internal? I would, well, first of all, you have to find, you have to find some safe people to start with. Um, you don't, you don't want to have that conversation uh, too fast with people that you love the most that you know are going to be shocked or affected by it. Um, man, and, and I, I would be extremely proactive and looking for a few, uh, one if not a couple safe people that are a judgment-free zone and just start telling your story and start hearing yourself talk, have that conversation of doubt uh, with, with some people that are safe. And then I, I would say, man, it's such a tough thing. I've even, I've even sat under the weight of this going through some of the stuff I've gone through in the last three or four years with, with my own faith journey and my own doubts, man, it's so deeply personal. Faith is even when faith's going great, it's so personal. But, but when, when you're in it, when you're at a bit of a disorder season, like, like I've been through and you're trying to bring some order and some new order to it, man, it's it's incredibly intimidating to talk to the people you love most because you so want them to affirm your heart. And I would say when you, when you do think it's time to tell the people you love most, even knowing they might not like it or disagree or fear might take over or they might try and control the situation, I would say plead with them that you got there honest. That's the one line I kept trying to tell all my family members and friends is like, I don't expect you to agree with where I'm at. I don't expect you to love it. Um, I don't expect you to believe what I believe or be where I'm at, but could, could you do this? Could you trust that I got here honestly? And that was the one question that I've asked all my friends and family members, as I've told them my journey one at a time, can you just trust that I got here honestly, even if I'm honestly dead wrong and time will tell, can you believe that I got here with integrity? And if so, we can figure this out. And I have had an incredible, almost 100% um, affirmation that we trust your heart and we trust that you got there honestly, whether we agree with it or not. That's so great, man. Our world needs to have more conversations like this and, you know, gearing up for a pretty ugly election season that's getting ready to come down on us and just the divisive nature of all this. Uh, we, we need to be able to create space to have these kind of conversations. So thanks for being willing to, to open up a little bit and talk to us now for people that are out there that have never heard the name Chad Brugman before, if they want to be in touch or follow your journey or connect with you on social media, how do they find you? Yeah. On uh, Twitter, I believe it's just at Chad Brugman. I think it's the same on Instagram, Facebook, God help us all. We should all just probably shut that thing down, <laughs> um, but I'm still on there. I'm a glutton for punishment. No, yeah. I'm still on there. Uh, just my name, Chad Brugman. It should come up in a, in a search engine. Well, man, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, and uh, we, we wish you the best and uh, hope all is well. And uh, thanks for joining our community today. Loved it. Appreciate you, Corey. Well, hey guys, this has been the Chasing Better Podcast. If this added some value to your life today, I encourage you to share this with someone that you think could use it. We always want to be bringing weekly content that adds value to your life, helps you become the absolute best version of yourself. If you want to find out more uh, about the, the book that I wrote, Chasing Better, you can find it on Amazon, searching Chasing Better, searching Corey Baker. 
uh, or any of those types of things. But thanks for listening today. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your week, and we will see you next time right here on the Chasing Better Podcast.